This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Great to be together. We're in the book of uh, Philippians, and so if you are new here, uh, I don't, uh, you, you, you're not going to have trouble tracking with what we're doing right now. This will kind of stand on its own, but uh, we have been working our way through the book of Philippians. And uh, we've had a lot of newer folks coming this summer and stuff. It's great to have you. Just to let you know, uh, one of our convictions as a church is that we believe uh, we are to build our lives uh, around the Scripture, upon the Scripture, informed by the Scripture, empowered by the Scripture. So typically, the way we think the best way to do to to, uh, teach, and we, we make some exceptions to this at times, but typically is just to teach through a book of the Bible so that we're able to see every verse and its context and um, you know, how it relates to what's before it. We can follow kind of the story if it's a narrative or uh, try to understand the, each point of a letter if like what we're reading today, if it's a letter or that sort of thing. And it protects you from the preacher just picking his five favorite hobby horses and preaching on that every Sunday one way or another. I, I can't do that every week. Uh, I've got to preach what's in front of me and what's assigned or one of the other pastors who's preaching. It, it, uh, it keeps us honest. So that's a good thing for you and for us. Uh, as well. So today we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, and actually I'm only going to look at two verses of Scripture to, today, just a, just a couple of verses of Scripture. Now before we do, let me ask you this. Uh, why are you here today? Don't answer that, but just think, think of it. it's a thought question. Why are you here today? I mean, we show up today with all kinds of different reasons for being here. Uh, we come with all kinds of purposes. We have all kinds of hopes for what might happen in this worship service today. Uh, we all come for different reasons, but one reason uh, many, if not most of us are here for is we want to grow in the Lord. We want to know the Lord more and we want him to change our lives. We don't want to come Sunday after Sunday and be the same person. Uh, we want God to change us. We want to be more like Christ in our character. Um, we want to mature and not be childish spiritually, but mature um, as a Christian before the Lord. In short, we want to change. That's one of the reasons, not the only, that's one reason here we want to change. And uh, so today I want to talk about change, and I want to try to talk about how do we change. Have you ever thought about that? How do I change as a Christian? How do I grow as a Christian? How do I become different as a Christian? Now, I'm not asking what do you need to do to change. I'm not asking that. I'm saying how does the process happen? What, 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 how does it happen? What, what is your philosophy of life change? If I were to just say to you, hey, you want to change life, what's your philosophy of life change? How do you think that happens? Or if we put it in more biblical terms or kind of theological terms, we might say it like this, what's your doctrine of sanctification? Don't let that scare, if that's a new term, don't be scared off by that. Here's all it means, is doctrine's a teaching, a belief. What's your doctrine? That's what do you believe. And sanctification is the Bible word that talks about growing in holiness or being set apart to be holy. We could say it like this, becoming more like Jesus in our real life. So what's your philosophy of life change? What's your doctrine of sanctification? How does it happen? There's a couple of different ideas of how this can happen. And... um, there's, there can be different approaches to how it can happen. Back, back in the day, and I mean back in the day, uh, I, I was a youth pastor, and I wasn't much uh, older than the youth, and I certainly wasn't any more mature than most of them were, so it was a bad call, but somebody let me in. And uh, at any rate, I can remember teaching and just wanting the kids to be radical for Jesus. You know, God had done a lot in my life, and I loved the Lord, and I just wanted the kids to, to be serious and to go for it. And so I was actually working with young people when the marketing campaign came out, and it's here today. I was thinking, I can't even think of a marketing campaign that's lasted this long. 26 years ago, Nike came out with the slogan, just do it. And so I thought thought it was a great idea. I'll teach the kids, just do it. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize that, like, every youth pastor in the country had that idea. And, and some of them stole it and put it on a T-shirt. I didn't do that, but uh, no copyright infringement. But nonetheless, let's just do it. And so just the motivation, talk to the kids. You just that sweat running down kind of image of pressing for the finish line, training hard, working for the big girl. It's what you do. Discipline. Go for it. Be a radical. Be a, a universe shaker. 
be a kingdom quaker, be a dragon slayer. <laughs> Some of you like that. You want me to preach that way. But uh, actually, people applauded when I said that in the first service. Whoa, I, I, they like thought that was really the church. I was, that was my real sermon today. I was, oh, wait. I was actually mocking myself. That wasn't me. So anyway, so it was like, just go for it. So here was the philosophy of life change. If you want to change as a Christian, just do it. Just do it. Okay, then here's another picture from my past that's different. I, I was in a sermon on time as a new Christian. I was listening to this guy preach, and I don't even know what he's talking about, but here's the illustration. He says, once upon a time, there was a college student who really wanted to serve Jesus with all his heart. He wanted to give his whole life over to the Lord. He wanted to surrender the whole thing. So to remind himself, he made himself a sign. He put letters on this little sign, uh, and it just said, let God he put it up in his rooms. So every time he'd say, let God control your thought life. Let God control your appetite. Let God control your entertainment. Submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. And he was just reminding himself, let God, let God, always telling himself to turn himself over as a sacrifice. <laughs> and he was just making no progress at all. It was all about him trying to commit his life, trying to open his life, trying to surrender. And then one day, the letters he had put on the sign, mysteriously, one of them fell off. And so that the story works, it was the letter D. And he came in and it said, let go. And he said, that's it, just let go. And he just rested so that God would change him. And I, you could hear a pin drop. I was like, whoa, that's it. I just need to let go and just be still. Totally opposite philosophy. One is, do it, go for it, you do it. The other one is, you don't do anything. It's God, just let go. So which one is it? What is the appropriate philosophy? Do we, do we train and do we sweat and do we work and do we just work our fingers to the bone as we, is that how we grow? Or is it just resting and relaxing and meditating and thinking and waiting and just, which is it? I could probably pull, and you could too, some scriptures out of the Bible that would support either one of those. It's not like there's no verse that talks about effort, and it's not like there's no verse that talks about dependence on the Lord. But as we read the scripture, we find it's not just one approach, and both of those are extremes, the way I presented them. It's not just one approach. It, it, is, it is really a, a both approach. And in the passage we're about to read, I don't know any two verses of the Bible, they may be there, but I'm not aware of any two verses of the Bible that give us a fully orbed, in a compact statement, a fully orbed uh, definition of how, of how sanctification works, of what our philosophy of life change should be. That it, it, two verses that really encapsulate all that we want to say today about this. So let's read them. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2 in Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Pray with me, if you would, please. Lord, we come to you this morning, and we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves before your word, and we ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, we want to be changed, and we want to understand how does life change work? How does growth and maturity happen? How does, how, what's your plan for sanctification? We pray that we would, you would open our eyes to your word. You would open our hearts to believe. We pray that you would adjust our convictions where they're wrong. And we pray that you would give us your, uh, your picture of how you change us, Lord. And, and not only that, but give us great faith towards you that you are changing us and, and help us to know what our part is. And um, Lord, we can just get real confused on this. So I'm asking that as we open the scripture, would you bring crystal clear clarity. We need clarity. We need to see Jesus and his glory and his power today. And we need hearts that, uh, that, are, that are with you and for you and, and empowered by you. So do something way beyond us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, before we look at the two verses that I'd like to talk about, I want to look at the, the first word of the first verse, which is therefore. This is so important, this therefore. We don't want to just skip over that. If you were here the last two weeks, then you would have heard two full sermons on what that therefore means. But let me just super quick summarize what, uh, what was said, in particular what Pete taught last week, is that when he says therefore, he's pointing back to the verses about Jesus Verse 5 of chapter 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so what the therefore, therefore points to what's just been communicated. And he's saying, what I'm about to tell you is based on what I just told you. What did he just tell us? He just told, told us that the God of the universe, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus laid down his prerogatives to, he said equality with God was not a thing to be grasped. God, Jesus is equal with the Father, equal with the Spirit, one God, three persons. He's equal, but he didn't, he didn't grasp onto his heavenly glory, but he laid that aside. He became a man, didn't just become a man, became a servant. Didn't just become a servant, but became a servant who died on a cross for our sins. He gave his life for us, and he was buried and raised, and then Paul says, the Father exalted him so that now he rules and reigns. And one day, every person on this planet will bow their knee and confess, acknowledge, announce that Jesus is Lord. And so he's saying, based on the fact that God came to us to rescue us, that God became a man to give his life to die in our place so that our sins have been forgiven, the gospel, based on what God did for us in Jesus, and based on the fact that Jesus rules and reigns, therefore... Here's what, listen to what I'm about to tell you. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't, don't take what I'm about to say, which includes some commandments in the verses that just follow what we read. Don't just take these commandments isolated, but realize this is all based upon what Christ has done. This is all tied to the work of Jesus. This is all built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So we cannot lose that. We, that's, that's central. So based on what Jesus did for us, then he says, my beloved, Oh, I love that. So he's reminding them that he loves them. He's their father in the faith, Paul. He cares about them. He's not just giving them some teaching in some dispassionate way. Believe this and do this. He's a father. He's a pastor. He's a friend. He's a brother. He cares for them. I love you guys is what he's saying. I love y'all would be common vernacular here. So I love y'all. Come on now, therefore, think about everything that Jesus has done. Now, I love y'all. Listen to what I'm about to say. This is an expression of my heart of love for you. Then he goes into the next section where he says, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is in prison when he's writing this epistle. I'm not with you, he says, so ensure that you're obeying for the glory of God now. I'm not there to kind of watch over you. I'm not there to set an example for you in living in a living way like he did. I'm not there to father you or pastor you or guide you in some way. So make sure that even in my absence, much more now that you are what? Then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when he gets to that section, we realize that grace precedes any call to obedience. Grace is what Jesus did for us. We could never do for ourselves. Gave us salvation, died on the cross, and rose for us and is exalted. So he gives us grace, and then there's a call to obedience. But that grace precedes it, that grace motivates it, that grace is the foundation for all obedience. And there's a beautiful grace-driven obedience in these two verses. And it's really, we see the same word repeated twice, and so I want to build off that, just really two, two points here today, is that we are, based on what Christ has done, because of the gospel, in response to the love of our Savior for us demonstrated in the gospel. Because of the gospel, we are to work out what God works in us for his glory. We are to work out what God works in us for his glory. So let's talk about work out or working out. Are we getting to the just do it thing again? No, but work out, um, work out is what it says. 
That's the verb that he use, uh, uses um, to them. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we just read that casually, we didn't know what came before, we didn't know any other Bible verses, that's all we knew. Or maybe you don't know a lot about the Bible, which we're really glad you're here. Thanks for being here today. Maybe you say, I don't know much about the Bible. Well, when I hear what you just read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what I hear. I've got to do a lot of good works to get salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've got to work really hard for God to accept me. I've got to work really hard for God to love me. And by the way, God is watching over me super strict ready to blast me because it says I'm to do all of that work to be accepted by him, to be saved by him with fear and trembling. So as a Christian, it sounds like I gotta work for my salvation, be a follower, I gotta work for my salvation. It sounds like uh, he's a hard taskmaster, so I've gotta be afraid and trembling that I hope my best is good enough. I hope my good works are enough. I hope God looks on what I'm doing, what I'm avoiding, and what I'm doing, and I hope he says I'm okay. You say, when I read that, that's what I see. And I understand that that's how you could, any of us could read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't sound like grace to us. Well, here's what's very important. First of all, let's look at therefore. The whole preceding passage has been what Jesus did for us so that we could be forgiven and have salvation. So everything he says here is in light of what comes before it. That's the first thing. We have salvation based on what Jesus does, not based on what we do. That's the whole context of the chapter. Secondly, he does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your own salvation. Your own salvation. You have this salvation. So work out that salvation. That's very different. I have this salvation, I work it out. That's different than work for your salvation. Work up enough good works to be accepted by God. That is, that's not even literally what it says. It does not say that. It says work out your own, the salvation you have, your own, work that out. And everything that precedes it says that that salvation came to us, not because, note this, we reached up to God, but because God reached down to us. Jesus left glory, the prerogatives of, uh, of glory. He, he came to us. He became a man. He suffered and died on a cross. Astounding. That is so foreign to most religious views. Most religious views is we work our way up for salvation. We work it up for salvation. But this passage in chapter 2 says, God came down for our salvation. Now if we believe we're forgiven and receive new life, we have salvation, now work that out. Work out your salvation is what he is saying. So it's, very, it's still very grace-driven. It's not, it, we didn't lose grace here at all. Work out your salvation. Um, Okay, what does this word work out mean? I was very, help, I was very helped by a, a commentator, his name is Anthony Hokema, and, and he said this about the verb work out. He said this verb work out was used to describe the cultivation of land by farmers. So that uh, even in, I believe, in extra biblical usage, when that word was used in Greek, that verb, one way it was used was for farmers to talk about cultivating cultivating their land. And so he says this, we could paraphrase Paul's words as follows, keep on cultivating the salvation God has given you. Believers must continually seek to apply the salvation they have received to every area of life and make it evident in every activity. So keep on cultivating what you've been given. What have we been given? What is the salvation we've been given? Well, in Christ, we've been given the person of Christ. We've been united to Christ. We're united. We're with Christ. We're adopted into his family, the Father's family. We're declared righteous. We are forgiven. The salvation we have is forgiveness. We have become new creatures, the Bible says, new creations, the Bible says. Uh, we have gone from death to life. We have spiritual life. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The light has gone on. We're walking in light. We've moved from darkness to light. Many wonderful things have happened in our salvation. We have a new heart. 
We have a new mind, and our mind is being renewed by the Scripture. All these wonderful truths of what our salvation is. Our salvation is what Christ did for us, but that makes significant changes in us, in our status before God, in our relationship to God. And so he's saying, based on all of the salvation that you have received, see that that is cultivated and worked out so that it touches all of your life. So with a new heart, with a new mind, as a new creation, with the Spirit of God living in us, I want to cultivate that so that my salvation is worked out into my thinking. It's worked out into my acting. My salvation touches my affections. That is how I feel about God and others, how I think about them. My salvation affects, it's to affect my marriage, how I relate to my spouse. The salvation I've received, the grace I've received is to be worked out woven into the relationship I have with my wife. I'm a dad, so it's to, be rela- it's to be worked into how I parent my children. You may be a, uh, a young person here. This, if you're a Christian, the salvation you've received, God says to work that out in the way that you honor your parents, the way you relate to your parents. So what God has done for you is to be worked out in very practical terms in how you relate to your parents or how you relate to schoolwork. Sorry, students to mention that in July. That's kind of cruel, isn't it? Um, (laughs) But you are a student, so how I have salvation. That's to be worked out in the kind of student I am, the kind of friend that I am, how I relate to the needy. A person who is needy, an outcast, a person who's hurting, a person who's rejected by society, how do I relate to them? Salvation, the grace of God, that's to be worked out into all my life. How do I relate to my neighbor? How do I relate to my boss? How do I relate to my coworkers? How do I relate to entertainment? How does, the, how does the salvation, the gospel I've received, how does it affect my hobbies? How does it affect my dating life? How does it affect my eating and care for my body? How does it affect uh, my, my hobbies? I think I mentioned that. How does it affect all of my life? So he's saying, you've received salvation, now work that out in all of life. And it is a command, it is we work. You work that out in all of life, and you do it with fear and trembling, Paul says. Now, that sounds so unusual to us, fear and trembling. Um, Paul uses that language elsewhere in the New Testament. You may be familiar with Corinthians. Paul says, when I came to you, you you know, he was saying, I didn't come as some great orator. I didn't come with tremendous rhetoric. Here's how I came. I came in fear and trembling, he says. It speaks of a It speaks of a humility, it speaks of an awareness of the nature of God and my nature in relationship to God. It really speaks to that, doesn't it? It speaks to to me in in that way. What is my position? Well, I fear the Lord, I am to, to relate to God with fear and trembling. Now get this, he's already given me salvation, he's forgiven me. So fear of the Lord for the Christian doesn't mean like, wow, God may zap me and send me to hell at any moment. That is not what it means. It doesn't mean God is gonna harm me and do evil to me. God does not do evil. Everything, all that happens to us, God works that out in us, Romans 8, 28, to conform us to the image of Christ. So whatever happens to us, good or bad, is used to make us more like Jesus. So it's not that kind of fear, but it's a holy, reverential awe of God. He's saying, He's basically saying, take obedience to God very seriously. Work this out in your life with fear and trembling. Don't be flippant about the things of God. Don't presume upon grace to say, I've received salvation, so who cares what I do? Doesn't matter. Does not matter. I'm I'm saved. I'm secure. It's just, I can ask forgiveness for that. Who cares? Don't have, but with fear and trembling, with a sense of awe, with a sense of, here's a word, sobriety. We're to think about obedience to Christ, our Christian life, the decisions we make, the way we think, how we live, the choices we make. We're to think about them very soberly. How can I honor the Lord with this? Now, sobriety and fear and awe and reverence does not mean uh, dry, sour, because he ends this whole passage, we'll look at this uh, next week hopefully, but he ends this whole passage, like a few verses later he's saying, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's not like this angry guy who's miserable and wants to ensure that everybody else is miserable too, so he's gonna talk about fear and trembling. He, this whole book is about joy, Philippians. Paul is full of joy. 
So he can combine living a life full of joy, free, enjoying the freedom of the grace of God, and yet a sobriety about, I want to live for the Lord. I want my life to count. I want to honor the Lord and obey his scripture. I want to live a life that represents Jesus to those who don't know him. This is that matter, nothing, what matters more than obedience to God? in my lifestyle. And so he's saying, do, have an awe about how you live your life, an awe towards God. Don't presume upon God. Grace for the Christian, if you're a Christian, grace does not mean it does not matter what you do. Grace means that in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. Whew, that's wonderful. All your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And that the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and God, by grace, will give you power to change. It is forgiveness and power to change, both. And so obedience is, is a most important topic. And so that's what he's saying. Based on what Christ has done, therefore, the salvation you've received in Jesus, work that out into the details of your life. Stir it up into all that you do and pursue obedience to God. Four, verse 13. So that's, that's uh, work out. Here is God works. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if the first one sounded like, wow, is that everything's on me? All I'm supposed to be doing? He completely in the next verse tells us that it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. The will, here's the grace of God. This is amazing. The desire to know and to obey God, that even comes from God. That even comes from God. That, that's, think about that. He's saying God is going to work in you to will. Your will is your volition, the choices you make, your desires. What is it you want to do? Uh, what is your will? What is it you are going to decide to do? What is it that you are committed to do? Okay, well, he says here, God works in you to will for his good pleasure. So he's saying you work out your salvation in all parts of your life. And then immediately he says, even the desire to do that comes from God. So dependent on God that even, even for it to be attractive to love Jesus, even for it to be attractive to live for him and know him, that's going to be the Lord at work in us. That's, he's going to will and he's going to work in us. He's going to work in us. He's going to change us. And he's going to work at the level of our desires and our choices. And that's going to lead to action. So by his spirit, he's molding our desires. He's working for his pleasure so that we work out what he works into us. That's what it is. We're saved by grace. We don't work to become a Christian. Nope, it's all a gift. And once we receive that gift, then we work out by his grace. We work out, we pursue obedience in our lives. And we do that because he is at work in us. Now, here's where this can get, and I, I'm, I realized today, I said this, I forgot to say this at the introduction, um, but um, I, I understand today, I'm talking, this, this may not sound super practical, because I am kind of talking at a 30,000 foot level, I'm going to give a ground level example in a minute here, but I am talking philosophically, how do we change? And what I'm trying to say is, it's not just do it, and it's not let go, it's certainly not Let It Go, the Frozen song. It, please, it's not that. But it's, uh, it's not let go and let God. It's not just do it. It's work out your salvation because God's at work in you. That's the biblical, that's the biblical idea. It's, it's, it's this mystery of the two going together. So this is a little philosophical, but if we get this, then we can take that truth and it can work itself out and how we pray for life change, how we help others and receive help for life change, how we interact with the scripture, it can really give us a good, a good vision for uh, practical living. But we need to get sort of this doctrine, this understanding before we get the practical living. So if it's, we work as Christians, those who are already forgiven and saved, we work because he works in us. How does that work together? Well, here's how it doesn't work together. It's not I do my part and God does his part and it works out in the end and I'm holy. It's not as if God and I are partners of an equal level. <laughs> not at all. There's nothing that's equal about God and about me. But I do cooperate. We do cooperate in growth and holiness, sanctification. We do make choices. We do cooperate. So we are involved. We do partner with God. We do work alongside God, but we're not equal partners. 
It's, it's not, I'm 50% of my sanctification and God is 50%. It's I work out the gift that he's already given me of salvation, the grace of God. I work that out as he is working within me. And so the accent is always in the scripture on the work of God. It's always God's work that is emphasized and accented. It's always God's work in me. It's always God where I want to point and, and, and look and have my faith stirred. That doesn't say I'm not responsible, but it says if I'm going to be changed, it's going to be a bigger role of God than what I do. That's what I'm trying to say. I can't give percentages or anything like that. That's probably the wrong way to think about it. But it is, it is God that we want to emphasize. And we see this elsewhere in the scripture. Let me read you two scriptures that, that talk about this, that really have a great hope of God being the one who sanctifies, that is, makes us holy. So for instance, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24, Paul writes this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That is, may he set you apart, may he change you, may he make you like Jesus, may he make you progressively more holy. May he, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may the whole, your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Paul didn't say it doesn't matter what you do. Paul didn't say obedience is an option. Disobedience is an option. He doesn't say that. Paul says, Look to God and be confident that God will sanctify you and that it is he, as he says here, it's he who's at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or here's another verse, Hebrews 13. This is, this is powerful. Listen to this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that's the therefore, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now may the the gospel, that's all what Jesus did for us. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So he's gonna equip you, he's gonna give you everything you need so that you may do his will. I think this is a great proportion. He starts with Jesus. He starts with the blood of Jesus. He starts with all that Jesus has done for us. He identifies Jesus as the great shepherd. He says, Jesus is going to give you everything you need so that you may do his will. But, but get the flow. It's not like, hey, get in shape, everybody. Just do it. it, it there's a lot of stuff about Jesus. You and I are responsible but there's a lot about stirring confidence in him. The Bible makes clear that we are dependent on God by the power of his spirit to change us, to make us more like his son. Someone after the first service, uh, this is, sometimes the second service has new content because people tell me stuff at the break, like, whoa, that was a sorry illustration. Okay, so I don't do that. And uh, hey, here's a great point that you didn't say. Uh, so somebody actually uh, sent me an email, which I saw on my phone after the first service, um, and this is, uh, this is what they said. He said, here's the verse I think of. When you, here's a living example. And they gave me the example of Paul. This is great. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Listen, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So there is this balance here, but we always want to ensure that we are trusting the Lord and looking to him to be the, uh, it's a work of grace. Sanctification is by grace. So how do we describe this sort of mystery? It's kind of a mystery of how we relate together. How do we describe it? Well, a couple things have been helpful for me to think about this. One is, in the passage we're looking at right now, to think of it this way. To think of, we work... As Christians, not for our salvation, but having, I know I've said that a hundred times and I'm going to keep saying it because it's really important. We were, we've received salvation because of the work of Christ. Now we want to grow in good works to honor the Lord, to obey him. That's part of our, li our lifestyle, to be those who represent the Lord and honor him with our lives. So we work, we do good works, we work because he is at work in us. 
We work because he is at work in us. And like Paul said, if we, he said, I worked harder than them all, but it was God. He, point, he could say, I worked harder, but he could also credit God for empowering him to work. So if I am making choice, if I am repenting, that is turning from my sins, if I am changing, if I'm starting to love people more, if I'm starting to think godly thoughts more, if I'm starting to have self-discipline with my various appetite, bodily appetites more, if I'm starting to have peace in my soul rather than anxiety more, if I'm starting to do if I'm starting to be bold in my faith and share my faith and evangelize more, if I'm starting to be a more faithful father to my children, whatever the category of obedience, a harder worker on the job for the glory of God, um, whatever, if I'm doing that more and more, I can be assured that God is equipping me and empowering me more and more. I work because he's at work in me. Here's another one that, now this has got a little bit more dense language, but here's another phrase that really helped me to kind of think of this. Um, J.I. Packer, who's a, a theologian, very elderly man now, uh, but he said this. He said, here's how he describes sanctification or growth in the Lord, life change, whatever you want to call it. He says this, uh, sanctification, growth in the Lord, it is not self-reliant activity. It's not self-reliant. I'm going to do this. It's not like a self-help book. It's not like, here's my plan, I came up with a plan, and I worked the plan. It's, and, and it's self-reliant activity. We all can fade into that very easy. He said, it's not self-reliant activity. He said, also, it's not God-reliant passivity. That's, I don't do anything. I'm just relying on God. If God wants to help me love people, he can do that. Until then, I'm a jerk. But if he at some point wants to work and change me, come on, Lord, I'm not obeying because the Bible said you got to work in me. You're not working in me, so we're, you know, so it's not, that, that doesn't hold water. It's not God-reliant passivity. It's not self-reliant activity. Here's what it is. He said it is God-dependent effort. God-dependence hyphenated. God-dependent effort. It's I am totally dependent on God, and he empowers the very personal and real effort that I make to grow. The real effort that I make to put to death sin and to, to raise to life um, righteousness in my life. We sang it today, that, that last song we sang, um, uh, I will slay my sin I saw the Nike swoosh on that one. I will slay my sin, right? But if we didn't have the next thing, by grace and grace alone. That is a well-written uh, little chorus there. What are you saying? I, will I can't quote it, but I'll make it to the end, something like that. I'll make it to the end because I'm super godly and holy by grace and grace alone. But I'll make it. I've got to pursue. I, I, do you see? It's both. It's both, and we have to have both. That's why I love the language of God-dependent effort. It's not self-effort, but it's not God-dependent no-effort. It's God-dependent effort. Here's in my own life when I know I'm living by God-dependent effort. Here, and this is just for me, so you may be different, but here's, here's for me. When my most common prayer throughout the day is this, help me, Lord. And I'm not just saying that like, oh, help me, Lord. You know, I'm not saying, but seriously, I, I mean it from my heart. Help me, Lord. That's when I'm living God-dependent effort. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have a meeting with, you know, whoever it is, you have meetings at your job or you have a conversation with a friend and you know it's coming up. I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm going to meet with a person. I'm going to do whatever. And Lord, help me. Help me to be humble. Help me to be loving. Maybe you need to be reconciled with someone. Lord, I'm walking into that conversation. So it's not just, okay, I've got my conversation patterns down. I know what to say. I've planned out my strategy. That's what I can do. I, I, if they say this, I'll say that. If they say this, work it out. I've got my strategy. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this. If they do that, here's my debate point. I'll get them on this one and, you know, maybe arguing with your wife or your husband or something like that. So it's not going into the meeting saying, I've got all my points lined up. Whew, I'm going to get them. Uh, no, it's God-dependent effort. Help me, Lord. Help me to reflect you. Help me to honor you. When I go throughout my day and I'm taking up my tasks, your two-year-old mom, you, you hear your two-year-old rustling, struck, nap time is over, which means your day is over until you go to bed at that point. You know, you, so at that point, what is it? You know, is it uh, God-dependent effort? Lord, give me the strength and the patience with the way I feel to love my daughter and to care for her and to point her with you and to take care of my family. Help me, help me. It's, it's God-dependent effort. It's not, it doesn't matter what I do. 
Oh, it matters how you relate to your daughter. It really matters. Fear and trembling. God, this is serious how I parent. Going into that meeting on your job. Oh, it matters. Do I govern myself like a Christian, especially as a testimony to an unbeliever? Super important. But Lord, help me. God-dependent effort. When, it may be different for you, but for me, when I am praying, help me under my breath all throughout my day, and I'm, that's when I'm conscious of God, and I want to be changed, and I want to apply truth, and it really does matter, but I don't have the goods. I can't. I got to have him help me. I got to have him empower me. It guards us from the futility of just doing things in our own strength, and it guards us from the passivity of doing nothing till God changes us. That's what we guard from. So it, it, we do make effort. We do discipline ourselves. We do die to ourselves. But it's not just me. That's the futility of doing stuff in my own strength. And we do wait on God, and we do listen, and we do cry out to strength, but, for strength. But that's not passivity, doing nothing until he changes us. It's God-dependent effort. You know, on the ground, how does this really work? I kind of gave an example right there, a couple of examples. A meeting example, a parenting example. Um, but how, how would you counsel someone else if they want to change? You know, how, how would we help someone? How would we help ourselves? How would we help someone? You know, I was thinking about what if, what if you're a guy and a guy says to you, hey, uh, listen, I'm really battling anger. I'm struggling with anger. I'm an angry person. I'm really, I'm really getting ticked off at a number of situations. I am impatient with my kids. I am short with my wife. And the guys that work for me at work, I am, you know, I'm unloading on them in frustration. Or maybe they, he says, I just have so much anger towards my boss who is so unjust. I don't say anything because I don't get fired, but I am mad, you know. What do I do? So what if somebody said that? How would this philosophy, how does this apply? Well, here's, uh, here's what I don't think would be helpful. I don't think if all we said was, oh, you're really battling anger? Well, here's the answer. Count to three before you say anything. That's a step. That might be helpful. I'm not discounting that, but just count to three and then memorize a verse on anger. And that's it. You're done. We're done. And end of the conversation. Those may be good pieces of advice. Number two is a very good piece of advice. Take those two things and call me in the morning. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about what he's done for you. There's nothing about grace. There's nothing about God's going to help you. There's nothing about prayer and let's ask him. That, that's not a real good counsel. On the other hand, just to say, oh, anger, you know what? Here's what I've learned. Until God changes you, you're going to be an angry person and he'll do it in his timing. So just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just ask forgiveness or something. You know, no. Here's what I think would be a good way to help. I think a good way to help would be start with therefore. And you don't have to say all this, but you know, here's the heart, hear my heart. It would be to say something like this. Hey, can I encourage you? God is at work in you. The fact you care about that, the fact it matters to you, that you want to be patient with your children and you're concerned about that, the fact that God's convicting you that you're being harsh with your wife, the fact that you want to serve those who work for you and you want to honor your boss and be a light in the darkness in the workplace, you didn't come up with that. God's at work in you. So let's start here. God has forgiven you in the gospel. God has given you new life. And now uh, he's convicting you, so you have an opportunity to work out that salvation, you know, obviously in your situation. So I'd start with, let's notice that what God's doing here. So to, to feel that I'm recognizing this and bringing it up is not a bad thing. Anger is a bad thing. But getting helps humility. That's a good thing. Seeing the need to change, that's a good thing. So let's start there. And then let's give them, how do we work that out? And there's a, I tried, I was thinking off the top of my head, first, I was kind of rambling in the first service because I had all these different reasons. Let's just, let me say this. There's a thousand things we could say to the person based on where they are and what their needs are on how they could work it out. It, it might be things like working out might be starting with asking, why are you angry? You know, what's, what's going on? Is there, is there something you're desiring or craving or demanding that you're not getting and when you don't get it, you explode. So there's something happening. Let's, let's talk about that. It could be talking about that motivation. Maybe there's some cause. Is maybe this person has unforgiveness towards their spouse or unforgiveness, bitterness towards the boss that overlooked them for the promotion. And so everything that happens. Argh. So maybe we need to look at that. Maybe working it out 
means applying the gospel, seeking forgiveness, and believing, as Pete led us um, in the section of, of prayer and the service, it means stopping believing a lie and believing the truth about God. And um, so maybe there's something to believe. Maybe there's some scripture. Maybe working it out would be taking several scriptures that would give us a truth about God so we could believe the truth and memorizing that and living in the good of that. Maybe there are some very practical things. Maybe working it out means avoid temptation. So how do you avoid temptation? Well, maybe it's with your kids. It's better to give them some instruction and make a plan instead of just bursting in and expecting everybody knows what to do and get, getting angry. So maybe, it's, maybe there's some very practical things. Maybe you do need to count to three. I don't want to discourage that. That's not the end of it. But maybe if, if you've got 10 things, maybe that's one of them. I don't know. But somehow work out so there's going to be some working out, and then there's going to be confidence and faith that we can ask forgiveness for what, where we've been angry, go back to the people and ask forgiveness, and we can ask God, and we can trust him to change us so that we can walk away saying, God's at work in me, God is at work in me, or I wouldn't even be concerned in asking this question. Now, here's some practical ways, getting prayer, accountability, whatever it is, help, study. Here's some ways that I'm going to work it out, and now let's pray and ask the God who works in you so that you will will and work for his glory. Now let's pray that God is going to help you. Let's acknowledge our need. Let's pray. I'm going to be praying for you. You pray. Let's ask God for help. Let's cry out to God in desperation. And let's expect, look at chapter 1, verse 6. It said, he who began a good, uh, uh, I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. So let's be confident that God's not through with you yet. So you see how really it's all grace. That kind of appeared like a grace sandwich. Let's come and see what's God doing, how the gospel's active, how we work out because he's at work in us, and then how we acknowledge and depend on him and cry out for him to work in us. I think that would reflect this, this passage as opposed to God will change me when he wants. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. No, there's effort, but we need God. It's God-dependent effort. So how do we apply this to where we are today? Well, I would say this. Usually, it, usually I find one of these areas, one of these two areas is where I'm off. Either I don't see my need for God, and I just sort of have a, a plan for a, here's how I'm going to solve that problem. Here's how I'm going to fix that in my life. And I just have a human plan, just not acknowledging God. I have my own effort. Or on the other hand, I presume upon grace, and I don't even see the need to change. Or I don't really want to change, or I'm not fearing the Lord and I'm not seeing God's power to change me. Um, so I can presume he'll change me when he wants, or I can do my own thing. So usually it's balancing out that. So God may be calling you, here's number one, God might be calling you to work out in some area of your life. He may be calling you to repent. There may be an area of your life where you've given up. You say, I don't think God will ever change me in this area. And this passage says, verse 12 is for you. Therefore, get your mind on the gospel, Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God, God is wanting you to turn. God is wanting you to step in and trust him and, uh, 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 and, and have some effort, some God-ordained, uh, God-empowered effort. Maybe you've thought it's impossible to change in some area. Maybe you're passive and you're believing that passivity is appropriate. I'm just kind of waiting on God. doesn't matter. You're just presuming upon grace. Maybe you say, I don't really live with a healthy fear of the Lord. Obedience is not really that. I kind of came out of a legalistic background, and so I don't really like a lot of obedience talk. Um, legalism is trying to obey so that God would have favor on you and approve you. Uh, that's legalism. Godliness is being secure in the fatherly love of God, secure in the grace of God, secure that we've been declared righteous, and, trying to, and seeking to obey for his glory because that honors and pleases him, and that's what we're called to do. Those are very two different things. So if you come out of legalism, the answer is not no obedience. The answer is motivated by grace, seeking to honor the Lord. The two very different, very different things. Or maybe you're on the other side. You've got the plans. You're the disciplined person. You've got it. You know where every penny goes. You know where every calorie goes. You're at work five minutes early and stay five minutes early. Right. You, you've got the plan. You're a doer. You've got the strategy. You're going to work it out. You've got the disciplined quiet time, and you're going to change just because you're sitting in the chair at 6 a.m. reading the Bible every day. Nothing wrong with any of the things I'm mentioning. But if those are just self-efforts, if they're just disciplines, not empowered, if they're not dependent disciplines, 
then it's just do it. And so for you, you need to say, you don't need to stop reading the Bible. You don't need to, but you need to pray and you need to ask God, Lord, would you bless my efforts? Would you change me? I don't just want my willpower. I want God at work to will and to work for his good pleasure. Would you change my motivation not to check off my to-do list, but to glorify you? Would you change my motivation? And would you make me dependent? And would you make me think of you? So if I can work my plan all day without thinking of God, that could be an indicator that God wants me to be thinking about verse 13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Because if I'm just working my plan without knowledge, acknowledging him, here's what'll happen. When I get my plan down, I'll be proud and feel good about myself. When I fail my plan, I'll despair. Because I don't have my eyes on Jesus. I have my eyes on me and my plan. It's not against plans. They just need to be spirit-empowered, God-dependent plans. So usually verse 12 or 13 applies to us. And to make this somewhat complex sermon more complex, I find that I'm verse 12 on some issues in my life and I'm verse 13 on some other issues in my life. So there's some issues I'm just gonna be very disciplined. I will always do that. And oh yeah, I probably need the Lord, but yeah, I'm just gonna do that. And there's others where, man, I should be convicted and I'm not even, oh yeah, that's okay. I'm just more lax and I need to be working out. And I need other issues, I need to be aware of his work within me. So I don't think one size fits all. I think we just need to ask the Lord to help us. The balance is a dance, and it's a dance for the rest of our lives until Jesus returns. And we're gonna trip up and we're gonna fall on the dance floor. Today is just giving an overview of kind of how we dance. And here's how we dance. In light of the gospel, tethered to the grace of God and the work of Jesus always, because we are saved by grace, we are called as believers to work out what he is working in us for his glory. That's the last phrase in verse 13. He says, to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So um, we are in Christ. God loves us just as much as he loves his son. That's wonderful. You cannot, Pete read it today. You can, God can, you, you cannot, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, we read that in the time of singing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Wonderful. That, that is glorious. You can't make God love you more. But you can live a life that reflects his work in you, that points to Jesus, that glorifies and honors and is according to his good pleasure as we are conformed to his image. So that's why he's doing all this. Why is he doing this? For his good pleasure. Another way we'd say that is for his glory. It's amazing. He doesn't just convert us by grace and then say, work it out. He converts us. And then he says, I'm going to continue to change your heart and your will so that you'll desire things after me. That, that is grace. He's not the dad who says, go do all your stuff, and when I believe that you measure up to my standards, you can come sit by me on the couch. He's not that dad. He's, he's, he's the dad who says, here's what I require and what brings me glory, and here's where the illustration breaks down, and I'm gonna give you the heart and desire to do it. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He has us sitting with him, and he gives us his heart he, he gives us, his, the spirit works in us, desires that please the Lord so that he is gonna will, he is gonna work through us so that we please, the, we live for his good pleasure. We please him. Live for his good pleasure. Act for his good pleasure is what he says he will do. He inclines us to him. That's, that's the wonderful thing. He doesn't say act and earn my favor. I've given you my favor and I'm gonna turn your heart towards me. Now you work that out in your life. I worked harder than any of them, Paul said, but it was the grace of God that worked in me. It's that balance that God wants to work into our lives. May, may he do so, and may we be a people who are driven by the gospel with God-dependent effort for the glory of God. For that's what he's designed. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.